Hello, hi, hi. So, would you turn to your neighbour and tell them what an, and tell your neighbour what an Ebenezer is? We've just sang it. I lift up my Ebenezer. Please turn to your neighbour and tell them what an Ebenezer is. Come on, every day is a school day. Every day is a school day. Okay. I'm seeing lots of people going like this. Okay, so I'm going to therefore say, let's pick in some people. Garth. Shh. Ah, we're getting, that's good. So an Ebenezer is some kind of a memorial. A memorial for what? Let's change it up and say... Jill. Ah, very good. So, and let's go, Ian, next to you. Uh, where, in the scriptures, where is the first occasion? I think, anyway, I could be wrong. That's why I've asked you. Where is the first occasion in scripture where we come across that? Anybody? Howard Simpson? Yeah. And who would that have been the first person who set up an Ebenezer stone? It was Samuel. It was Samuel, yeah. I, I, I'm with you. I don't know. I'm not with Ian in this one. <laughs> so go and wait and find out. So when we sing, my Ebenezer, hitherto I basically we're saying we are remembering as we come in here moments in our life where God has been faithful, he's shown his salvation, he's led us to this point. Um, it's always good to know what you're singing. You could be singing all sorts of stuff, I tell you. Um, so welcome, let me pray and then we're going to start. Father, in your mercy, you've gathered us. And we gather in Jesus full of grace and truth. There is none like him. And we seek to know more of his love more of his grace, more of his truth. May we have ears to ear and a heart which is open. May you be glorified today, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. In Jesus we pray. Amen. So, Steve and Lois Brown and the boys who are not here this morning have been a part of Pitlochry Baptist Church for about 15 months. And... They're considered newbies. I think we would say they're considered newbies. However, I did a little calculation this week and worked out that roughly one-fifth of Pitlochry Baptist Church worshipping adults have become a part of the church family since Steve and Lois Brown. You get that? They're newbies, but there's another fifth of the church family who's connected with us since then. We've come back after lockdown and we're in this building and many of us in fact it used to be a standard conversation in the core team and the diaconate beforehand that we believe we're called to Highland Persia we don't know why God has called us here at times but we believe we're called to Highland Persia for whatever reason you're here the vast well a good number of us are relatively new and that's been playing in my mind and it's been exciting 
We're from Aberfeldy, we're from Dull, Fortingal, Fearnan, Ardronig, Kenmore, Kirkmichael, Strathtumble, McClure, Stanley, Kinlochranach, Brewer, Mullen, Pitlochry, and probably more. We come from all walks of life. Some of us confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, and some of us are still checking Jesus out. But we're compelled to be here for whatever reason. We're a smorgasbord. I put that in because I just love that word, smorgasbord. You know, we've got many stories, we've got many aspirations, hang-ups and baggages. It's a, a, probably an apt metaphor, but a, a very common metaphor in the Bible to describe us is sheep. We are sheep. And what I know about sheep is, having spent a little bit of time with some of the farmers, farmers around about here, is sheep need a shepherd. A shepherd who leads them, a shepherd who protects them, a shepherd who provides. And if they don't have a shepherd, they're easily overpowered um, and they're scattered and they're devoured. We may be part of what God is doing in Highland Persia here for the next year. We may be part of what God intends to do in Highland Persia for the next decade. Could that time witness an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? May we experience renewal among us and in our communities? What would you give to be a part of that? An outpouring of God's Spirit, a renewal of seeing people transformed and seeing us transformed because we ain't finished by a long stretch. I wonder if you're up for that. And I'm wondering whether this is a time to explore that and to be in conversation with one another about following a set way of life that Jesus has said, come and follow me. It's a life marked by grace. It's a life marked by truth. It is a, a way on the margins and it's a way of holiness. We've designed an eight-week teaching series exploring distinguishing marks of a church family committed to the way of Jesus. Not just about PBC. There are many church families like us out there. And as I was considering, we are a lot of new people. And, and a conversation arose in our small group during the week where, I can't remember how we got there, but we were speaking about the manse. And I said, well, if you're a member of the church, you own the manse. And a couple of members of the church, I'll name them, Stephen Lowe's Brown, who are newbies, who are stri still trying to work out how all this works, said, what do you mean we own the manse? Well, no central body owns the manse. We are a free church. We are an independent church that's part of a union of churches, like-minded churches, that we just come under the Baptist Union. It's not a denomination. And so people here who are members own this building, own the manse, call me. And for them, that was like, oh, we didn't realize that. Which again reinforced this feeling, we need to go over some foundations. Yeah, many of us have been in a church for decades. And it's good to go over some things. Some of the things that we will explore may be Baptist principles, but it's not restricted to Baptist church families. And so there is this eight-week uh, 
series exploring these features of a church like us. We're going to look today at the centrality of the gospel, the authority of the Bible, how the good news about Jesus informs our worship, the necessity of discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. We're going to look at the importance of community, mission, and the whole extending of God's kingdom. We're going to look at ministry and leadership within the local church like ours. How does it work? Where do we get these ideas from? What we're trying to do? Why have we not got a priest who approaches God on our behalf? We're going to explore stuff like that. And finally, and we'll probably stop there, although I have says to the core team, you never know, we might have to throw in another one here, another one there, but in planning, we're going to finish off with a future hope. What do we hope for? And we want the church family to engage in that, to enter into that. That's why Douglas was here saying, if you're not part of a small group, become part of a small group. Come and speak to us today. Because we want a, a conversation on this. Because it would be good to get on the same hymn sheet. But good to explain why do we believe this? What's the importance of this? Because there's only so much you can do in 30 odd minutes here on a Sunday morning. We're going to send out questions or I'm going to write them this afternoon and send them out. And they'll be used within small groups just to explore with others. Because there'll be things that I'll say today that you'll be like, oh, what is that all about? And so I encourage you to note it down. Or if you've not got a pen, go to the wee thing that's a dictaphone on your phone and speak it in there quietly. Let's not forget, David says that and I really don't know what he's talking about. And then bring that to the small group. So speak to Douglas, please. I want to be part of a small group in this conversation of these foundations of, of PBC and churches like PBC. Because we hope that by focusing in on these foundational topics, that just as we read uh, in the book of Jude, just as we explored with Jude, we want to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. That which... The apostles learnt from their rabbi, teacher, saviour and passed on to the churches that they founded that truth that was once for all. We want to be part of that story as the baton is passed on. But to be that, we need to look at, think why, when, how, what's this all about? And we can only contend if we're willing, is that right? It can go in one ear and out the other. So we really can only contend if we are willing and if we put in the training and we say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and speak to me over these weeks, please speak to me. So today we're going to look at the gospel. Now, for some of you here, the gospel was something that happened on a, sun, a, Saturday night, a Sunday night sorry, in your church. <clears throat> it always happened and you may have went forward uh, half a dozen times to the gospel message. The gospel... Very simply and very briefly and quickly before we move on to other things. The gospel means the good news. It's a, it means good news. And it is the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. It can be summarized in this way. God created humanity and the world. And he intended for us to be in relationship with him. However, through Adam and Eve... We rebelled against God. It was our desire to be in control of our own destiny. And that rebellion created sin, a separation, because God is a holy God. And we desire to be the center of our lives. And that was not how we were designed or made in love. So sin separated us from him. And because of that sin, we are deserving 
of the wrath of God and the punishment of that. Because God cannot just sweep it under the carpet. His love for us is too great to do that. But God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus lived the perfect life and died on the cross at Calvary, a sacrifice for our sins. He was the only one who could do it to live the perfect life, fully God and fully man. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can know forgiveness of this rebellion, of this sin. We can know reconciliation with God. I, with confidence, without feeling a fraud, say, today Jesus spoke to me because he is alive. And I am in relationship with him. I am willing and I am able to meet with him daily, moment by moment, to be reconciled to the Father through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. So those who put their faith in Jesus, what he has done at Calvary, who confess their sins, are given this gift of eternal life. And so this is a message. The gospel is a message of forgiveness. It is an appeal. But it is also a message of transformation. Those who put their trust in Jesus and follow him are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a life that is described in Galatians 5 verse 22 and 23, as one characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the life that we are called into. A transformed life, walking willingly with Jesus daily by his Spirit. And in time, we are marked by that. That is the message of the gospel. A message of forgiveness, but also a message of transformation. We don't just have our sins forgiven and sit there thinking, great, I'm sorted. But we enter into a journey following in the dust of our rabbi Jesus and being transformed to be like him. This is the transformation of the gospel. The gospel is called good news because it offers salvation and it offers hope. We do not need to just put up with life the way it is here. There is so much more. Remember when you were a teenager maybe um, and you're thinking of what you want to do and, and the world was not too big. The opportunities and the possibilities were out there and they were to be grasped. That enthusiasm of youth, we are called to journey in that enthusiasm of youth. Our culture says that when you get to Elaine Brown's age, that your best days are past. But the truth of the gospel is, there's so much more. Not that have I already obtained, but I strain with every, every sinew to reach the, where I've been called to, to take the prize and the goal which is in Jesus. So Elaine's days are not, our best days are not behind her. There is so much more because of the transformating power of the Holy Spirit. That is the message of the gospel. There is hope. It is not earned. Can it be a good boy? Pull up your socks and God will love you more. It's not deserved. It doesn't matter what you bring. God cannot love you any more or any less. Rather, it is a gift given by God. 
is Paul says to the church at Ephesus, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works, by doing things so that no one can boast. It's important to start here for those who know this and those who are still trying to figure it out. The gospel matters because it is the only way for us to be reconciled to God. As Jesus said as much in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's important to note that the message isn't just for um, Howard. The message isn't just for me. The message just isn't for Elaine. But the message is for humanity. The message isn't just for individuals, but it's for all of us. Because the ultimate goal of the gospel is to bring restoration of the creation, the new heavens and the new earth, for us to walk with God in the coolness of the day, to be in relationship with him, and for all creation to be in line and step with, with the kingdom of God. When we trust in Jesus and follow him, we become a part of his kingdom and take part in his mission to reconcile all things to him. The Apostle Paul tells us, uh, he tells this to the church at Colossae, and he says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is our hope. This is part of our future hope that we may touch on. The, go the gospel is good news of salvation through Jesus. It is the message that brings hope. It's the message that brings forgiveness and new life to all who receive it. It's important to start in week one by saying it is the foundation of our faith. It is the core of our message. It's a good place to start this series. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. I could have stopped there because I think that was the gospel message. But I want to look at the centrality of the gospel and how we live as followers of Jesus Christ. And here's a little bit of setting the scene for Galatians chapter 2. After visiting the leaders in Jerusalem, Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, Gentiles are non-Jewish people, Paul and Barnabas return home to the church in Antioch, which is in Turkey. And this was a church made up primarily of Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was circumcised. Jesus was obedient to the law. And here we have the message, the gospel message, not being restricted to just the sons and daughters of Abraham, but go therefore into all the world. And that means go to the non-Jews and say to them, 
we have got the message of reconciliation. And so Paul was a great apostle to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And so him and Barnabas return home to their church in Antioch. And soon after they return, Peter, you know, um, uh, one of Jesus' good friends, uh, part of the inner circle of the disciples, who undoubtedly was an apostle to the Jews, um, Peter came to this diverse wee church that was full of Gentile and Jewish Christians. And the question of whether these Gentile converts should be circumcised was addressed by the Council of Jerusalem. Should they, um, once they have experienced the grace of God, once they have confessed their sins and acknowledged that Jesus is the Savior of the world, is the Messiah, um, should they then, as a sign of holiness and set-apartness, be circumcised? And the Council of Jerusalem debated this and said, no. They are clean already. They don't have to do this work to be clean. Jesus has done everything in the cross and it is enough. And so they dealt with this question and stuff like that at this council in Jerusalem. And these Gentile Christians were deemed to be clean. At the church of Antioch, Peter then ate and, and drank and, and socialized with these Gentile converts. And he had no issue with the fact that they were uncircumcised. That question had been dealt with. Let's read Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 onwards for just three or four verses. So that's the background. Here's what happens next. When Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, James the leader of the church in Jerusalem, who was a half-brother of Jesus, before certain men came from James, Peter, he, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcised group. In other words, he was afraid of those who still held out that you had to be circumcised to be acceptable before God, to be clean. Therefore, um, the other Jews joined Peter in this hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray, his companion, who'd been involved in setting up this church, presumably in Antioch, he started to pull back from the Gentile Christians as well. Pull back because he didn't want to be polluted or seen with them. When I saw this, when I, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And I'm going to stop there. When in verse 12, certain men from James and the circumcised party came to Antioch, Peter dramatically changed his behavior. Why? Well, he was fearful of those church leaders who falsely believed that Gentile converts, Christians, needed to be circumcised. So, Peter refused to eat with them. He was a hypocrite. 
And his actions led Barnabas, a church leader, and others to share in that hypocrisy. Two-faced. Absolute two-faced. So here was Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, a powerful leader in the early church. And at this time, arguably the most famous Christian there is, discriminating against fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Blatant discrimination. Peter was treating these Gentile Christians as second-class citizens, forcing them to jump through hoops because of their ethnicity. He was bowing to peer pressure rather than, rather than the truth of the gospel. And in, in, in effect, he was presenting no gospel at all. It was not good news. Enter Paul. Formerly Saul, formerly the great persecutor of the Christians before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Today for us, we know that Paul wrote the vast majority of the New Testament. He holds a lot of weight. But back then, Peter was the giant and Paul was the new kid in the block. And yet, when Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, saw the injustice in the church, in verse 11, it says he fearlessly opposed Peter to his face. You are two-faced, Peter. What were you doing last week? What were you doing the week before and the week before and the week before? You have saw the grace and truth of Jesus in these converts. And you're forcing them to become a Jew. Where? You're not living like a Jew. You're living in the freedom and the truth of Jesus. Why do you expect them to do that which you're not doing, you hypocrite? I imagine it would have been a dialogue like that, something like that. And for us today, Paul lays down a powerful principle in Galatians 2, verse 14. He deals with Peter's racial pride and his cowardice by declaring that Peter was not living in line with the truth of the gospel. Very important. If a river needs banks to, pe to, to keep it bringing um, life wherever it goes, if it doesn't need it, if it doesn't have river banks, it spills out and creates chaos. There's living in line with the truth of the gospel. Not erring to the left and not erring to the right. See, the Christian life is a process of renewing every dimension, every aspect of our life. In my mind, I have a little picture of um, Jesus working through rooms in my life. In many rooms, I'm still saying, not just now, Jesus, not yet, Jesus. Or I keep on mucking up Jesus and I'm a failure in this aspect of my life. And Jesus continually stands at the door and knocks. Because his desire is to come in to the aspect of my life, that dimension of my life, and rule as king. Sweep out the muck and rule as king. Whether that be in the spiritual, the psychological, the corporate, or the social dimension of my life. And by the direction of the Holy Spirit, we think, we hope, we live the lines or the ramifications of the gospel. The danger is to err to the right or err to the left. 
and the challenges to walk the, the road less travelled. It has been travelled by saints before us who've passed on the baton. People like Elaine and Howard, etc., and, and Alan and Maureen, who've passed on the baton. The, the, the road has been travelled, but it's a road less travelled. It's very easy to travel on the wide road. Everything is permissible, uh, or whatever it may be, but it's very tricky. And we are called to be a gospel people traveling in that road less traveled. Our thinking, our feeling, our relating, our working, our behaving are continually impacted by the gospel. It isn't just that one time when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord. It's every day as we pick up our cross and follow him. We are challenged to come under the lordship of Jesus. Not put to be an upstanding pillar of the community but to be a follower of our rabbi, teacher, Messiah, Jesus. That's our calling us. And here's a warning I want to give out when it comes to the application of this. Tertullian, a church leader in Carthage in, in Tunisia, North Africa, in the late second, early third century, lots of material for, from Tertullian out there and how he led his part of the church there in North Africa. He said this, just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so this doctrine of justification or the gospel is ever crucified between two opposing errors. What did he mean? Well, he meant that there are two basic false ways of thinking and of living, each of which steals the power and the distinctiveness of the gospel from us by pulling us off the gospel line. Culture is very good at doing this. Peer pressure, as we've seen in Galatians, is another way that's very good at this. Pulling us off the gospel line. It's so much easier to go with culture or to go with peer pressure. It's so much harder. And it is a place in the margins and it is a place of holiness to stay on the gospel line. That's what Tertullian's saying by describing these, these two thieves at the either side of Christ that want to steal our allegiance. On one side, you've got the thief of moralism or legalism. And on the other side, you've got the thief of hedonism or relativism. On the one hand, moralism and legalism stresses truth without grace. Truth. You must, you must, you must. Don't err. Point, point, point. And many of us who are just um, wandering from the God we love, as we sang also, find it hard to follow that way. For it says that we must obey the truth in order to be saved. Where is the grace? And on the other hand, you've got hedonism and relativism, which stresses grace without truth. God is love. Love is love. For it says that we are all accepted by God if there is a God. And we, ha we have to decide what is truth for us. And our ears are tickled. And our itches are scratched. It's all about us. That is a thief on one side of the gospel. 
just as that religious moralism is a thief on the other. Truth without grace is not really truth, and grace without truth is not really grace. Jesus is described in John 1.14 as full of truth and grace. Full, abundant, overflowing the definition of truth and grace. So any religion or way of life that de-emphasizes or loses one or the other of these falls into legalism or license. And either way, the joy and the power and release of the gospel is stolen by one thief or another. And we are called to a different way. As leaders of Pilocry Baptist Church, we are committed to this. Not to perfectionism, but to getting on your knees. And when you fall, to get back up. And to get on your knees. And when you fall, to get back up. The way of Jesus. The way in the margins, because it's not popular. And the way of holiness. Because we are called to be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. So don't try and fit in. But neither don't misuse grace. Don't point the finger, but correct and journey with a person. And here is my appeal. I'll just put that off. Is it possible for us to bring everything in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'll say that again. Is it possible for us to bring everything in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, I believe so. If God has convinced us of the weight of our sin and our need for a saviour, then I have to believe that what he's begun, he will bring to completion. If I think how he has always been faithful to me and getting to me where I am now, how much more will he do in and through my life? And I know I'm talking of the individual, but if God, since 1881 and the foundation of this church in 1884, has done all that he's done up to this point, what next for those people who take over leadership and a formal capacity and then their gifts and, and their ministries? What, what more will God do if we are willing to say, God, I want to walk this road that's left traveled. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That ancient prayer. Whether it be in Aberfeldy and Dull and McClure and Kinlochranach and, and a whole bunch of places that God has settled us in our homes the journey of faith would be much easier if we desire to become like Jesus who is full of grace and truth to err on either side is to align ourselves with a way of life that will rob us of the power of the gospel of the centrality of the gospel and I truly believe that our communities need Followers of Jesus Christ who will say, yes, Lord. Me, Lord. Send me, Lord. May it be so. And I really want to encourage you to meet in small groups.
whether it be in Feldy, whether it be in Kirkmichael, whether it be in Pitlochry, wherever, whether it be during the day or at night time, whether it be at seven o'clock in the morning, as some of us do, or seven o'clock at night, meet and engage with this. What is God calling us to do? Where is my life not aligned with this? Will you journey with me to help? Because I struggle big time with this. That accountability is hard to come by. It's well, it's earned. Um, but it's a truth once entrusted to the saints for all time, passed down to us. Shall we pray together? Father, I pray that in the days to come, in the moments just now, that by your Spirit, you would convict us of our need for you. Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would pursue us in our entrenched positions. You would pursue us in just where we found ourselves, we feel through no fault of our own. Would you pursue us and love us and delight in us and Lord, so that we may come to you and kiss you and worship you, Father, so that we may bring our best to you. Find us amongst the pods of the pigs. Find us in the dirt. Lord, find us where we're we're just at the, the end of our wits. And would you pursue us and would you robe us and would you clothe us and would you would you would heaven celebrate when we come back to the way you've called us to? Lord, would you continue to do what you're doing? Thank you for the, the victory we see in Jesus and, and aspects of our life. But we desire, Lord, we desire to become like your son Jesus and how he thinks and what he desires and how he walks and how he lives. We desire all of that. We desire that for our children next door and across the road, that foundations would truly be built in their lives that will not be easily shaken by culture, by the, 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 the wind blowing as left and right, but they will know because they know that Jesus is the Lord and Savior, that they would know because they've experienced um, forgiveness and being in right relationship with you, Father, because of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that they would become strong men and women of God who in the last days would be a light to the nations to their schools, to their universities, workplaces, families, communities. And Lord, may we lead the way for them. May we follow Jesus and use these years that you've given us for eternal purposes, for your kingdom, for your glory, for your praise. And in the name of Jesus, with confidence, we pray. Amen. Amen.